Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life. I'm going to talk about a few just random things, really, on this uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, This is our off episode where we don't talk about the letters directly. We talk about them either indirectly or something related to the Founding Fathers, Freedom and Liberty, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, etc. Fun conversations all. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode, as uh, difficult as that may have been for some to get through. Uh, if If it ever was not apparent before that I absolutely despise political parties, it surely is now, and that's going to become more apparent in the days and weeks to come. I got another episode coming in the not-too-distant future about that. And by the way, it's got nothing to do with the election. It just happens to be this is the time... Well, it's one period in the podcast where we're going to be talking about that kind of thing. Why? Because of that letter that Benjamin Franklin gave us about the Tories and the Whigs and the King lashing out at New England because it was Whig territory. Much the same way somebody might lash out at a particular region of the United States because it's attributed most closely to a specific political party one way or the other. Uh, These things are not appropriate, and you know you live in a corrupt system when you see that kind of thing happening. And that's not a good thing. It's not good to live in a corrupt system. I mean, that bothers me. It should bother everybody, but apparently most people in the United States have, has, have just written it off as being normal. Oh, of course our pol- politicians are corrupt. That's just normal. That's just the way they do business. And and many people just accept it. Well, I don't, by the way. It's not okay. And, you know, accepting it and tolerating it is how you get to a point where corruption just becomes the order of the day, and the whole system from top to bottom is corrupt, and usually the people in with the money interest end up oppressing the people who don't have the resources that that the the same resources they do. I mean, is that what you want? Is that the kind of country you want to live in? Because that's that's pretty much where we're headed. I'm trying to draw attention to that because it's it's not it's not something that we should be uh, entertaining as an option at all. So I'm going to talk about a few short topics today, just some random things that I've noticed, two or three of them. And I was listening to a conversation recently about by two people talking about the founding fathers, and one of them said that the uh, well, actually, they both kind of agreed. That the, uh, the United States was founded by radicals. Radicals, they said. Now, they weren't talking about it in a negative context, like, oh, those founding fathers, they were a bunch of radicals and terrible and blah, blah, blah. blah. No, they weren't talking about it. They, they, they were talking about them in a positive. Oh, yeah, they were radicals. Good radicals. Oh, yeah, but they were, they were it's a radical thing that they did, founding the United States of America. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? And somebody might ask me, you know, Roman, do you think that the uh, United States was founded by radicals? And I would say absolutely not. No. I think these were very conventional, traditional people, old-fashioned people, certainly from our perspective, old-fashioned. I don't think they were radicals at all. There's nothing radical about what they did. They simply did the right thing. Now, to some people, doing the right thing might be considered a radical thing to do. But to me, I don't think it's radical. I think doing the right thing is just doing the right thing. They stood up for their freedom and liberty, and they, they put in place basically what they had been living the whole time. And, and these, like in the Bill of Rights, for example, freedom of speech, yeah, they already had that. Freedom of religion, they pretty much already had that. Second Amendment, we know that they had that. You know, and they the Third Amendment, of course, that, that, uh, that eventually became a problem with the British Empire. But prior to that being a problem, it wasn't a problem. And of course, the British government went after the Second Amendment, too. 
well, not the Second Amendment directly because it wasn't there, but they went over, they went after what the colonists had at the time that resembled the Second Amendment, which is basically the right to keep a bear arms. The the king decided to try to seize that, which is a very familiar tale from out of history. But the founding fathers, before before any of them were even born, a lot of these concepts the the founding fathers were putting in place with the Constitution of the United States were just kind of recognized as being natural, God given rights. This is just how things should be. Maybe it's not how they are, but it's how they should be. There's nothing radical about them, in my opinion. And I'd be curious to know what you think. Do you think the Founding Fathers were radical, either positive or negative? Or do you think they were just traditional, common-sense people who just did the right thing? I think what they did was pretty plain, pretty basic, pretty ordinary. It's what any rational, logical person would do. Now, it is hard to do, because when you're building a government, most people's first instinct is to take power and to oppress the people. That's that's most people have that urge, but the Founding Fathers didn't, most of them. Instead, they said, we're going to recognize your freedom of speech and your freedom of religion and your right to assemble in the press and the Second Amendment, Third, Fourth, and all the rest of it. Your right to private property and to be secure and your papers and all the rest of it. We're going to recognize all that. We're not going to give you those rights because government can't give you those rights. We're going to recognize that they already exist. And we're going to say to the government, the government cannot take these things away from you. It's going to try. And boy, have we seen that in recent decades. But it shouldn't. It doesn't have the right to. It has no ability to take these rights away from you because it never gave them to you in the first place. That's just the kind of thing the Founding Fathers had believed all along. And their parents probably believed that too. I mean, where do you think the Founding Fathers get these ideas? In the colonies, that's largely what they were living then King George III and the Parliament came in and slowly but surely started taking pieces of that away from them. And they said, no, you will not. Nothing radical about that. It's just common sense. That's what I believe. So if you believe something different or if you agree or disagree, whatever, uh, leave a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think. And I will bring it on to the podcast and I will let you know um, what the reviewers said. We'll talk about it. Now, another topic I wanted to talk about today is a, is this concept of a double standard of freedom and liberty. And I try to wrap my mind around this. I, I've thought about this for a bit, and I saw something recently, and this is not a news podcast, but I felt like I would bring this up because it's so striking. Recently, I have seen talked about in the news these protests in Russia and the government cracking down on these protests. People protesting the draft and having to go off and fight in a war that they don't really want to fight in. And I've seen people in the news and government talk about how terrible it is that the the Russian government is cracking down on these protesters and not listening to their people. And I thought to myself, haven't we seen something like that recently? And we, the government and the media, largely speaking, the news didn't really say much of anything about it. And what am I talking about? Roman, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about Australia, amongst others. There were other countries that were guilty of this too. But Australia was one of the worst by far as far as cracking down on peaceful protests. I've almost never seen anything like it. I mean, the only thing they could have done that would have been worse is just fire into the crowd with uh, live ammunition. I mean, basically do a Tiananmen Square the morning after kind of situation. But that's the only thing that would be worse than what I saw, for the most part. And is Australia, you know, did, did anybody in the government or you know, in the news really, like, you know, the standard news programs, what, did they rake them over the coals for that and, you know, try to rattle their cage like they're doing with Russia now? No, I, I didn't, I didn't really see any of that. Might have gotten a mention for like two seconds or something like that, but I kind of doubt it. I don't, I don't even think I saw that. What's that all about? I mean, why, why are they, why are we criticizing Russia for cracking down on protests? We're not criticizing Australia. 
And the answer to that question is fascinating. You know, it's it's basically a double standard. It's political corruption, political ideology. And it's it's very re- it reminded me of something from out of American history because again, you know, people are people and the people today are the same as they were 10,000 years ago, and 10,000 years from now people will be the same as they are today. These things just don't change. People can't help themselves. And I asked my, you know, somebody in the the 1700s, like the late 1700s, could have asked themselves, why is it some of these founding fathers, and I I do stress that word, some of the founding fathers. Um, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. You know, history in this country is taught in a particular kind of way, and it's very skewed, and I don't like it. And somebody might think, oh, Roman, what do you know about the way history is taught in this country? What do you know? How do you know how history is taught in this country? Well, I, I've been to a lot of schools in my time, and I've listened to a lot of history teachers talk. Uh, that's that's why. Well, I mean, what do I mean by that? You know, I've been to, I went to four different elementary schools, compliments of the United States military, and I went to a middle school and a high school, and I, I, I took classes at four different colleges and universities. I've listened to some history teachers in my time, and the way history is taught most of the time is that all of the founding fathers supported slavery, which is 100% not true. I wouldn't say 100% not true. It's Some of them did and some of them didn't. I mean, it's 50% not true. But um, you get the idea, including Abigail Adams, by the way, she did not support slavery, uh, and neither did her husband. But some of them did. But, you know, some of the founding fathers... Somebody might have asked one of the founding fathers, how is it you can sign the Declaration of Independence and then go back south and march your slaves into the work field? How can you sign that document and then go back to your plantation and march your slaves off into the field? And it's a good question. It's a really good question. It's an inconvenient question to ask. Just like it's inconvenient for some people to hear that some of the founding fathers, as a matter of fact, a large number of the founding fathers did not support slavery, by the way. A large number of them did not support it. It's very inconvenient for some people to hear that. Uh, It doesn't fit their little twisted ideology on how the world really works. But I would ask the same question. How is it you can criticize the the, the, the government cracking down on protests in Russia, but you will not criticize the government in Australia cracking down on protests there? Peaceful protests. Because we should hold Australia to a much higher standard. I mean, we should be raking Australia over the coals still to this day because of what they did a few years ago. Because we should hold them to a higher standard than we hold Russia. Russia has always been, and I hope not, but may always be a quasi-dictator state. It's a terrible government over there. They oppress their people. They've been oppressing their people for hundreds of years. This is like this is like a habit for them. This is just what happens in Russia. Australia is supposed to be held to a higher standard, yet we don't say anything about that, and we do say something about what's going on in Russia. Why is that? And the answer to that question, I think, is very similar, if not the same answer, as how can you sign the Declaration of Independence and then go south and march your slaves into the work field? And I don't know if you thought about it the same way as I have there. I don't know if you think that that's crazy talk. I don't know if you think that I'm way off base. But if you do believe that or if you don't believe that, good news. I want to hear from you. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and say whether you agree or disagree with me on that and let me know. And I will bring that commentary onto this podcast, as long as it's appropriate for the podcast, I will. Uh, And as long as there's no political parties mentioned, political candidates, political slogans, and so on and so forth mentioned in the review, I will read it. But that's what I think about. And it's all—the answer is is the same kind of thing. It's all about corruption and political ideology, hypocrisy. It's kind of a—hypocrisy is too simplistic an answer, by the way. It's too simplistic. It's really about corruption and political ideology. And that's why I make an episode like the previous episode where I just rail on political party ideology. And even before that, I was talking about there was, there's been episodes recent where I just rail on this. 
because I see what it leads to. I mean, if you want to know what really perpetuated slavery in the South and the United States, and I'm going to talk more about this when I do my episode on slavery. It may be like a two-parter or something like that. If you want to know what really perpetuated slavery in the South, because most people who lived in the South, by the way, and again, this is what, this is what doesn't get taught in history class. Most people in, this, in the South never owned slaves. They never owned a slave. Most people who lived in the South, millions of people lived in the South. They didn't own slaves. Some of them did, but the vast majority of them did not. Do you know who did? The elites. Quote, unquote, the elites. Have we heard that name before? The elites? That would be the corrupt, by the way. That's what I call them. I just call them the corrupt. And it was a bunch of corrupt, quote, unquote, elites, as they call themselves, and lobbyists. It was, it was the corrupt politicians, quote, unquote, the elites, whatever you want to call them, and their lobbyists that made it happen. And you can begin to understand why I look at Washington, D.C., and the corrupt politicians, a.k.a. the elites, and their lobbyists, you can begin to understand why I look at them the way that I do, with nothing but disdain. They make me want to throw up, because I know who they are. I know, I know their lineage. I know I, I, can try, I, I can do a DNA chain and trace their lineage, not literally, but figuratively. I can do a DNA chain and, and track their lineage all the way back to those same corrupt politicians and those same lobbyists that kept slavery going in the South. And it was a bunch of slave owners that lobbied the state governments, basically, to secede and to keep those institutions going. So if you want to know what lobbyists really do, and if you want to know who lobbyists really are, that's who they are. That's who those people are. So if you have the name, if you carry the name lobbyist, I look at you as the, one of the most disgusting, despicable human beings on the planet for that reason. And nobody talks about it. You're not going to hear anybody in the news ever say what I just told you, most likely. Because it's just part of the corrupt system. But again, this is how we end up in a situation where you can sign the Declaration of Independence and then march your slaves into the field the next day. And it's how we end up in a situation where we can criticize government crackdowns of peaceful protests in Russia, but we say nothing about the ones in all, the, the crackdowns in Australia. Same mindset. And this is the kind of mindset that we have to dis, that we have to take apart, and we have to begin to look at things differently if we're going to actually chart a positive course for the United States of America. And for those of you who are listening overseas in other countries, to begin, to begin to chart a positive course for you, you know, for places like Poland and Denmark and Belgium and Germany and France and Britain and Ireland and all these great places where people can chart a positive course for freedom and liberty, we got to pull ourselves out of this political corrupt system. And we have to begin to look towards the basics, the foundations that, that, that ensure our freedoms and liberties, or at least articulate them. Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights. And in my humble opinion, those aren't just American documents. Those documents belong to people all over the world. It was a bunch of Americans in a room in Philadelphia that really thought it all up and put it down on paper, but they were really borrowing a lot of ideas from people who'd come before them. We talked about John Locke before. That was just one of them. Some people talk about Montesquieu. But they borrowed a lot of these ideas, came up, a few, came up with a few of their own, put it all down on paper, and just articulated it. But just because it happened in America doesn't mean that it belongs solely to America because it doesn't. Just like corruption is not isolated to America, it's a world problem. And these quote-unquote elites, a.k.a. the corrupt, are a problem all over the world. And these documents help answer the question of that problem. How, how do we solve it? How do we solve that problem? And the answer is keep everything close to the people. Recognize the rights of the people. It's not the job of the government to give us our rights or to take away our rights. It's the job of the government to simply say that we do have them naturally, and we will not get in the way of those rights. That's the government's job. But all too often, the government doesn't want to acknowledge that. Why do you think the Bill of Rights is actually a thing? 
The Founding Fathers knew that the government was going to come in someday and say, you don't have those rights. And the Founding Fathers wanted to cut them off at the pass and say, oh no, they do have those rights. Those people out there in the country, the people that we represent, our constituents, they have those rights. Now and for the next 10,000 years, they have those rights. And not just that, these rights are natural rights. People are endowed by their creator, as, they, as it says in the Declaration of Independence. But do you think that's isolated to America? Of course not. It's all over the world. It's all people, everywhere. We're all the same, and we're all fighting the same battle against these corrupt, quote-unquote, elites, as they like to call themselves. We're fighting the same battle. Always have been, always will be. No double standards on freedom. None. The people in Russia deserve their freedom of peaceful protest, but so do the people in Australia, because they claim to be some kind of a quasi-free state, question mark, as opposed to Russia, which has always been, at least for its recognizable history, a quasi-dictator state, exclamation mark. No question mark there. That's going to offend the sensibility of some people out there in Australia, perhaps, like, oh my gosh, how dare you say that about my country? I don't know, were you watching about a year and a half ago? Oh my gosh, Roman, you're getting political. No, I'm not. I watched an event happen, and I'm simply commentating about it. It's got nothing to do with politics, except that the people who like to have a double standard typically have a political bend. I don't have a double standard. I will criticize both. I'm the guy without the double standard. I will praise the Founding Fathers on the one hand that support freedom and liberty and sign the Declaration of Independence, but the ones that return to their, to their houses in the South and march their slaves off into the, into the fields, I will criticize them until I'm short of breath. And you will hear me say, you will hear a much longer version of that coming in episodes yet to come. It's going to happen. We're just not at that point in time yet where I'm going to dig into it at length. I have slowly been talking about it, gradually getting it into the pot. Gradually, it's a slow burn. But believe me, when, when the fireworks do go off, that is to say, when I start really railing on this, you are going to hear some fire-breathing oratory about that topic. Because that double standard, frankly, makes me angry on a level like I can't describe to you. It makes me want to utter words of profanity that I can't use on this podcast because it's a family-friendly podcast. But I will also say at the same time, not all the Founding Fathers supported slavery. And no, slavery was not the institution of the United States. It wasn't. It was the institution of several states, and it was not the institution of several states. That's how that works. That's reality. They don't teach that in history class, by the way. I mean, in some they, in some they do, most they don't. They don't get into the nuances of it. And thus, you know, you have generations of people in this country that are, for lack of a better way of putting it, completely stupid on that issue. That's not making excuses for anything. That's just telling the truth. But we can't have a double standard of freedom and liberty. Can't. Not in 1776 and not today. If Australia is going to oppress its people, and it has, we need to talk about it. The same way we talk about Russia oppressing its people. Just like the United States when it comes to oppressing its people. If it ever does. And in some cases, it, it tries. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, the, the, the most recent, in most recent years, the attacks on the First Amendment, and frankly speaking, the now decades-long assault on the Eighth Amendment and the decades-long assault on the Second Amendment are a frickin' problem. A big frickin' problem. And the United States should be taken to the woodshed for what it's done on all of that, because it should be held to a higher standard. So if anybody international to the United States, of course, it's really hard to for somebody international to the United States to criticize the United States for going after the First, Second, and Eighth Amendments because 
all three of those amendments, interestingly enough, are scarcely recognized in any country in the world. I mean, obviously, they don't have a constitution with those amendments in them. Not really. I mean, they kind of quasi-reference speech or maybe a cruel and unusual punishment and things of that nature. But do they actually practice? No, they don't practice that. We know that. Most countries don't. Even most countries that call themselves free, they don't. Be really hard for anybody international to the United States to criticize the United States for that. But if you did, I'd be perfectly fine with it. And raking this country over the coals and taking it to the woodshed, because it deserves that. Because this country has violated the trust of the people, and it's acted contrary to the common good, as it pertains to those three amendments specifically. No double standard. You gotta call it out for what it is. And why? Because, you know, we should all be trying to make sure that we don't lose our freedoms and our liberties, and that we try to defend the freedoms and liberties of others, and we speak out about it. So when the people in Russia are being oppressed by their government, and they are, to go off and fight a very specious war that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever— from the Russian perspective, I mean, it's basically just some made-up crap, then we should talk about it. We should uh, criticize the Russian government for doing the things that it, it has historically done for the last, you know, several hundred years. But we should also criticize any other country that does the same thing. And there's plenty of them. Plenty of them. Friends of the United States, supposedly, allegedly. But because they're friends of ours, what, we're, we're not going to say anything about it? We're not going to talk about it? I won't put up with that. I also wanted to talk briefly about something that I, I never talked about while it was going on. I kind of debated whether or not I should mention it at all, but it does pertain to the Founding Fathers because it pertains to Britain and, honestly, the remnants of the British Empire. And that is to say the, uh, the unfortunate death of Queen Elizabeth recently. I won't say a lot about it, but, you know, some people out there might say that, you know, I'm very harsh about the, Brit the British Empire during 1775, and I certainly am, but rightfully so. I've also said a few, you know, passing words of positive words about the British Empire, too. In some cases, I think the British Empire, in some cases, not all, was a for force for good in the world. It did some good things for the world. I think the world is, the, the world really became connected in trade and communication, which are all good things for the most part until they're abused. But those can be very positive and good things, and that, that happened in large measure just solely because of the British Empire and a few other countries in Europe. I don't want to leave anybody out. I, I won't go down the list of names, but, you know, the Dutch, they sailed the oceans and all the rest of it. Spain, of course. But the British Empire played, played a large role in them. And somebody might ask, you know, just, you know, and I thought I would talk about this just, you know, just for fun. Somebody might ask, you know, well, Roman, how, how do you feel about the passing of Queen Elizabeth? And how do you feel about uh, the impact of that on, on Great Britain and the legacy of, of the Queen? Well, as far as I can tell, I don't follow the royal family. It's not something I do. Um, I don't worry too much about it. Number one, because I'm an American. It's just not something that we do, generally speaking. Um, and number two, I make it a point not to get too concerned or invested in the British or the royal family over there in Britain for obvious reasons. I, I'm a traditional American. And I, I'm much, I'm very closely aligned to the Founding Fathers, and they, they worked very hard to separate us from, from royalty over there in Great Britain, and I, I feel like I ought to carry on the tradition. But what I will say is this, from everything that I can tell, Queen Elizabeth was a very classy woman, and a positive force in Great Britain, and I, I take it that she was very highly regarded in Britain, and I have no reason to think that she was anything other than a relatively decent, honorable individual who tried to do the best, the very best she could for her, for her country, and to serve her country in her capacity as queen. And whenever somebody like that leaves this earth, somebody who was a force for positivity, 
uh, as as I take it, she she probably was. And and like I said, I don't know everything about her, so there may have been some things that she did that were contrary to that that weren't good. I don't know. Uh, that's really up for the people of Britain to decide, and I will leave it to them to to talk about. But what I will say is, to the extent that she was a positive force, and I take it that uh, a great many people in Britain believe that she was, that's a good thing, and that's that's something to be admired. That's something to be appreciated for what it is. I got no problems with the royal family over there, such as it is. Um, like I said, it's 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 an institution of the British people, and they decide whether or not they want to have that institution or not. And the, they have decided that they want to keep the institution of the, the royal family. And I don't have a problem with that. Honestly, for, as a student of history, I like it on the one hand because it is a very direct connection to Brit- British history, to the British Empire, and, and going all going way back in history to, to Britain. I mean, it really is. It's just uh, it's a very real connection to all of that, and it reminds us all of the history of the British Empire, you know, good and bad. And like I said, I don't have a problem with anything over there to do with that as long as it's positive. And if the British people are, are happy uh, with what's going on over there, then that's that's perfectly fine. And if they were happy with Queen Elizabeth, and like I said, I take it that, that the vast majority of them were, that's a great thing. And it's it's really a shame that uh, that she died. Of course, we all die sooner or later, and she had lived a long and historic life. She saw a lot of things in her life. I can only imagine the history that she saw from World War II on up. I mean, just some of the most amazing events that really changed the world in the 20th century and on into the 21st century. And anybody who lives that long and sees that much history is, is impressive to me, uh, especially if they maintain a positive force— um, throughout that time. And like I said, I take it that she did. And when people li- from that generation, when they die, I mean, eventually they're all going to be gone, and we're going to lose that history that Queen Elizabeth carried around with her. And that's why we have to study it. I mean, she's she's a reminder to me as much as anything else. Like when, she, when I heard that she had died, it didn't escape me that that generation is almost entirely gone, and we can't let their history leave with them. We have to hold on to it. We have to remember Queen Elizabeth. We have to remember her generation and what they saw. It's always so very, very important that we hang on to what they saw and the and the, the lessons that they learned from all of it. And in her lifetime, there were a lot of lessons to be learned. A lot. And what I would encourage everybody to do, whether they be in Great Britain or around the world, is to just remember remember that history and study study some of that and understand what it was that Queen Elizabeth saw while she was alive. And what her country went through. And her country went through a lot. You know, Britain during that time period went through a lot. I mean, keep in mind, when she was born, the British Empire was still known around the world as the British Empire. Think about that. I have a map that hangs on my wall of the British Empire. Honestly, it, it was, it was a, it's a map of roughly about the time she would have been born. And it was roughly. I just I just looked. I cheated, and I just looked. She was born in 1926. Uh, the map that I have of the British Empire is based on the British Empire 1924. Uh, so just two years before she was born. And the British Empire at the time was absolutely massive. Massive. Stretching all the way from, of course, the British Isles over to North America, and then around the world through Africa, India, and over to Asia, Hong Kong, and elsewhere. I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. Think about that. And large swaths of Africa, by the way, were were under the British Empire. So I want you to picture that in your head. When she was born, the British Empire was very much still what people think of when they think of the British Empire. Huge. And they they said, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire. When she was born, that was very true. 
that was 100% true. The sun never set on the British Empire when she was born, and she just died in 2022, and the British Empire is largely forgotten by most people. And some people, including in Great Britain, by the way, they think of the British Empire as being some problematic um, institution of colonialism. And I, I almost smirk when I when I hear that, because it's, on the one hand, there's some truth to it. On the other hand, but that that's not solely what it was. And it wasn't just a bad thing. I mean, you ask the people in Hong Kong today, would they rather live under the PRC or what was the British Empire? They'd probably say the British Empire. I don't know that, but I'm sure some of them would say that. Yeah, I mean, if they were allowed to answer honestly. I mean, some of them escaped Hong Kong, and they actually went to Great Britain, didn't they? The people who were protesting uh, just a couple of years ago. I have it I have it on good authority that that's, that's what happened with some of them. They went to Britain. Isn't that interesting? So I'm fairly certain in that case, uh, in the case of those folks, they would probably rather live under the government that, that was the British Empire, as opposed to what was left of the British Empire in like 1997 when it was handed back over to the PRC, basically, than they would to live actually under the PRC government. And I'm sure there's other people still that would rather live under the British government than the government they live under. I often wonder if people in Myanmar, does everybody know where Myanmar is? If you don't know the name Myanmar, you might recognize the name Burma. Name Burma ring a bell? I wonder if the people of Burma or Myanmar would, would rather live under the British government today than live under the government that they have. And I'll bet you some of them would say, I'd rather live under the British government. I'll bet you some of them would. And I'll bet you it would actually probably be a sizable number. It would shock me if it wasn't. So tell me again how the British Empire was just a force for bad in the world. It was just some evil that went, and there were bad things that went on in Burma back in the day when the British Empire was ruling it. Don't get me wrong. I know a little bit about that. I'm not an idiot. But it wasn't all bad all the time. But Queen Elizabeth saw, saw that, you know, the British Empire, when it was so large, and she saw it gradually be picked apart as these places were just kind of let go. And in some cases, they might have been let go a little early. Because they seem to have trouble governing themselves, like Myanmar being a perfect example of that. I believe, I, I forget exactly, but I think Burma changed its name to Myanmar in 1989, I think. And I think I always got the impression that um, they did it because so many horrible things had happened in Burma since they left the British Empire that they felt like they needed to rebrand the country to try to make it seem a little bit more peaceable compared to what it had been. I don't know if that was the real reason or not, or if that was some of the logic behind it, but I, I always felt like that had something to do with it. But um, bad news, Myanmar now has, has a pretty bad name to it, too, because that country just can't seem to escape its own god-awful government. So if the British government went in there to run things, I'm pretty sure it would probably be welcomed by a lot of people. So t again, tell me again how the British Empire was so terrible. And it was bad in some cases. I mean, we here in the United States know that. I'm not, I'm not an apologist for the British Empire, by the way. I'm the one who has said, I'm one of the very few people you will ever hear say that the British Empire committed war crimes against its own people here in the colonies during the war. It committed war crimes. It did, by the way. There's no, there's no debating that. There's no ambiguity about that. I've talked about it before. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go back in the library of episodes. I've mentioned it a few times. And war crimes are serious. You know, the people who commit war crimes are oftentimes executed. They're hanged. And oftentimes the leader of the country that, that uh, committed the war crimes is executed or hanged, if they can find them. You know, Saddam Hussein was hanged, by the way. And if they could have found Der Fuhrer at the end of the war, they would have hanged him too. I mean, assuming the Soviets didn't chop him into little pieces before it got that far. They probably would have, by the way. They were, they were animals when they went into East Germany. Maybe I'll talk about that sometime. So a lot of people don't know what the Soviets did when they went into East Germany. So when I say that they were animals, I, I, some people might take offense to that, but I, I mean it seriously. They were, they behaved like animals. But, um, you know, King George III, he was responsible for those war crimes that were committed 
in the colonies. He was re- he was directly responsible for them. I'm I, you'll, I'm probably the only person that you'll ever hear say that. Would have been perfectly reasonable for that man to be put on trial and hanged for his crimes. Talking about a member of the royal family, by the way. So no, I'm not an apologist for the British Empire, in case you're curious. But I do recognize some of the good. And I think Queen Elizabeth represented, quite possibly, the good of the British Empire. She seemed, Like I said, she seemed to be a classy, classy lady uh, who um, was not a negative force in the world. But the history that that woman saw during her lifetime, I, it just amazes me. A lot of people can't conceptualize that. In my generation and the generations coming up behind me, they can't imagine the, uh, what the British Empire was when she was born, what that meant to the world. And it really wasn't that long ago that the British Empire really stopped being recognized as, you know, the traditional the British Empire. And it just kind of became Great Britain, UK, whatever. But that's a lot of history. That woman saw a lot of history. And I, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with that. She lived during a very interesting period of time. It's a very difficult period of time for a lot of people, though. Very difficult. A lot of suffering during that period of time. A lot of wars that um, caused a lot of hardships. But, um, you know, she, uh, like I said, she maintained some kind of positivity through it all uh, to, to guide her country through it in some capacity so that the people didn't lose hope, I, I suspect, in through a lot of that. And she was a very consistent presence uh, throughout that history. There, I mean, there are people who are alive today. They were born after she became queen, and they don't. They just don't know any other uh, leadership from the royal family except her. Um, she's been there their whole lives, and I, I can't. I can't even imagine what that's like. So, if there's anybody from Great Britain who may be listening to this podcast, or anybody else around the world who uh, had a special place in their heart for Queen Elizabeth, I certainly am sorry for your loss. It's unfortunate to lose. Uh, a person such as her, who's so highly regarded by her people, um, and in every in every good way that 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 seems to seems to be the case. I mean, there there's stories of like some people some people might get confused when they hear stories about you know like when uh when Joseph Stalin died, you know the people crying in the streets and all the rest of it, and when whenever a North Korean dictator dies, people crying in the streets and lamenting the loss of that god awful despicable human being. There's a difference. Queen Elizabeth was was beloved, I think, for all the right reasons, not because she was a reign of terror on her people that terrorized them into some kind of slavery but she was she was beloved by you know a people who had the freedom to choose whether to like her or not and whether to support her or not and they had freedom of conscience to support her or to not and it seems as though they did and that's uh that's a good thing it's unfortunate uh that we lost her and but hopefully again we don't lose the history that she saw while she was alive we have to hold on to that and that's so that her life is not forgotten, it's not wasted, it's always remembered. The, the lessons that she learned throughout her life by watching all of that history go by, we hold on to those lessons, and we hold on to the history of it so that her life means something not just today, not just yesterday, but 100 or 200 years from now. Just like the way we study the Founding Fathers on this podcast, it's so that the, the struggle that they went through, the, the, the unbelievable hardships that they had to endure, we study that and we remember that, so that it's not lost to time, so that generations don't forget. So for, for you people, you folks in Great Britain, I encourage you to talk to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren about Queen Elizabeth and the history that she lived through. Talk about it with them. Teach them. And don't count on the schools to teach. I have no idea what the schools are like in Great Britain, but don't count on them to teach it. You teach it yourselves, just like we should do here in the United States about the Founding Fathers. We have to teach it ourselves because we can't count on anybody else to teach it accurately. And find the things that she wrote, that she, the speeches that she gave, and read them right off the page to your children and grandchildren. And keep doing that. Don't stop. Keep, do it 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now. Keep it up. 
keep that history alive and keep her memory alive. And I do want to mention one more thing, just kind of before I forget to mention it on like a future episode of the podcast or something. Speaking of the British Empire, those war crimes that I mentioned uh, that they committed against the American people, uh, that is to say the American colonists at the time, uh, so far as the British Empire saw, they didn't recognize the United States as an independent country. For, so for all they knew, the American colonists were their own people. They were British subjects. That's why they were here fighting the war, allegedly, is because they, they were like, well, these are our people, this is our land, and we've got to take it back, and we're, we're not going to let these rebels uh, kick us out of our own land kind of thing, you know? We're the, we're the legitimate government, and we're going to stay. Yeah, okay. Those war crimes that the, the British Empire committed against the Americans, and they were extensive, they were brutal, and they murdered so many thousands of people. And I'm not just talking about at the barrel of a gun on a battlefield, by the way. I'm talking about in prison ships, tortured to death in some of the most inhumane, disgusting ways that you can torture a human being to death. America sure did forgive and forget really quickly, didn't it? I mean, as soon as the war was over, I mean, what, we sent an ambassador over there, John Adams, by the way, to just kind of meet with the king on, you know, positive terms and engage in some kind of diplomatic discourse and just kind of, we just kind of let bygones be bygones. Isn't that interesting? Is there a lesson to be learned there? I mean, it, the United States didn't hold a grudge. I mean, I'm sure some people did, don't get me wrong. And there was certainly some animosity and some tension there between the British government and the United States government at the time. Of course, that's why the War of 1812 happened. And honestly, honestly, though, the animosity was mostly on the British side. They were the ones who kept messing with us. Isn't that interesting? There's a lesson to be learned there. And why was it? How is it, how is it we did that? How is it we just kind of buried the hatchet such, so, such as we did? A lot of people don't think about that story. A lot of people don't understand how quickly things just kind of got back to normal, so to speak, as far as diplomatic interactions between what was the colonies and Great Britain. It's very interesting. It's important not to forget that. Uh, that's part of the history of us, the United States. It's part of the history of the British Empire, and it's part of the history of the world. And we, we were badly treated by the British Empire. The United States was. We were badly, badly treated by the British Empire. And many thousands of people suffered in ways, I mean, again, I, I try to stress this. Most people in the United States today, of 330 million people, will never even begin to contemplate how horribly people suffered at the hands of the British Empire during the war. You can't possibly imagine how horrible it truly was. You can't. And you never will. I hope. It was that bad. I mean, it was, again, people people might say that I'm wrong about this, but I, I tell you, I've, I've read the stories and I know that I'm not. I mean, the kinds of things the Ameri some of the Americans went through during the war, as far as the torturing and all the rest of it, it was concentration-level World War II type stuff. I mean, it was, it was like what you hear about in the concentration camps. Not completely, not entirely, not exactly the same thing, but the same kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's the stu kind of stuff that makes your stomach turn. It makes you, it, ma it makes me nauseous just thinking about it sometimes. It was that bad to, to think that you could put a human being through some of the things that they did. But that said, even though I know all of that, I know those stories better than most Americans. 90 plus percent of Americans don't know those stories like I do. And I'll stand by that. And I know that because most Americans don't even know who we fought in the Revolutionary War or the Korean War, World War II. I mean, you go out and you do a man-on-the-street interview and um, ask people, who did we fight in World War II? The most common answer you'll probably get is, duh. Uh, but even though I know all of that, I, I still say the British Empire was not entirely bad. It did, it did play some good role in the world. So if anybody ever accuses me of being some kind of an apologist for the British Empire or just sugarcoating things or trying to whitewash the British Empire, um, those people have no freaking clue what they're talking about. So just FYI. So with all of that said, it's kind of a random episode of the podcast. We hit on a bunch of subjects, but yeah, I did want to talk about Queen Elizabeth just briefly because we do talk about 
King George III a lot, and I, I never, I hardly ever say a positive thing about that guy. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I've said one positive thing about that guy yet. So it might lead people to believe that I, I just absolutely despise everything royal family about Britain or something of that nature, and that's not true. And I felt like it was within the within the range of this podcast to add some commentary about Queen Elizabeth because it does relate. It there is there is there is a a history connection. Uh, between that topic and the uh, American Revolution, the Founding Fathers, the British Empire. We're talking about all of it here. It's not exclusively the war. It's not exclusively America. It's, it's a lot of things, including large swaths of the British Empire. And Queen Elizabeth was born into the British Empire. It's amazing when you think about it. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Um, it's a little bit different, perhaps, than some of the others that we've done recently, perhaps. And in some ways it was, in some ways it wasn't. I did rail on the parties again. And uh, political corruption, all the rest of it. But uh, touched a little bit on Queen Elizabeth, British Empire, and other things. So if you uh, if you want to share this uh, podcast with other folks you think might value the material, or they might get something out of the study of our founding fathers, then uh, share it with them. Whether they be in the United States, outside the United States, whatever, what have you. Uh, share it with a family uh, member, a friend, associate, colleague, whatever, uh, classmate. Because this material that we're talking about here, again, it's it's going to be it's 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 not it's not going to be Anything like what you study in history class in high school or college, there is no college class or even series of college classes that are going to cover the founding of the United States at the length and breadth that we talk about it here. Getting down on the micro level, individual letters, not just individual letters, but individual paragraphs in letters and single sentences inside of paragraphs inside of letters. We will dissect even the words inside the sentences, inside the paragraphs, inside the letters. And we're going to keep it going for uh, many episodes to come, hopefully. And I thank you all for listening to this podcast and sharing it, especially those of you who share the podcast with others and get the word out about it. I have no marketing department for this podcast. I am not a million-dollar podcaster. So no podcasting platform is ever going to spotlight my podcast. So, for example, like Apple Podcasts, for example, is probably never going to spotlight this podcast. It's it's all you. It's you folks out there that share it with other people. That's the only way this thing ever gets around by word of mouth. Um, so... I never and I never forget that, and I never take it for granted. I never do. Uh, this is just a one-man band. It's just me doing this podcast. I have no staff, no friends, no family, no nobody helping me with this thing. It's just me. And the only help that I get on this podcast is from you folks who listen and share it. That's it. You're my only help, and I appreciate it greatly. So thank you so much for that, and thank you for joining me on this episode. I hope it was enjoyable. I hope to see you folks on the next episode of this podcast. We're going to get back into the letters. Going to cover another letter. As, again, we, we do our TikTok schedule on this podcast, not to be confused with TikTok, the application, on your phone, perhaps, but um, TikTok meaning it's a cycle. You know, one episode is a letters podcast, the next episode is kind of an off-topic or off-letter podcast, and then the next we go back to the letters and so on and so forth. We keep going back and forth, back and forth, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. That's how that works. So uh, thank you so much again. And uh, with all that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you. <laughs>